Welcome to the Pin Leader Podcast, where strategic leaders get straight to the topics, strengthening our awareness and sharpening our minds. The Pin Leader Podcast is produced by Roar, a production division of Maze and Associates LTD. Find out more at www.mazeassociatesltd.com. Now here is your award-winning host, Dr. Shan DeGore. And welcome to the Pen Leader Podcast. I'm so very excited to have with me Alex Davis. And if that name does not sound familiar to you, it will here. Um, at least music to your ears and funkadelic to your ears. But I'm so excited to have him. He is he's an extraordinary recording artist he is a producer he's an engineer he owns his own company and he's worked with the greats um, from billy idol to seal to chicago ario speedwagon yanni tom petty and you may have seen him working in a position of sly and the family stone and so i'm very excited to have him here uh, he has so much experience and is truly a pin leader in the area of music so welcome to the show alex hey how you doing <laughs> good good <laughs> I mean, I was looking at the resume of all that you've done, and I'm just so very excited. And so I'm going to have you talk a little bit about your history, and then that will be obvious about what your passion is. But could you talk about your history and and really where you got started? That's an amazing story. You know, I've, I've always loved music. I was always intrigued with music. When I was a child, around five years old in kindergarten, uh, my kindergarten teacher, music teacher in, in first grade, said, you have an astounding voice and um, we got to get you in some music program or something. And I was like, okay. And so <laughs> the next thing I know, uh, the teacher shows up at my house. Now, normally back then when a teacher shows up at your house, you're in for it. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, they told me to go out of the room and then the teacher sat down with my parents and told them, look, we got to get this kid in a music program or something. So the result of that was, uh, my mom buying an upright piano and having me take piano lessons for three years. And I enjoyed that, but I didn't, I found that I was more creative by ear than I was by reading music. And I found that a lot of the music notation, the people who transcribe music aren't always very accurate. So I had the records in the house. And back then you didn't have, you didn't have YouTube. You didn't have any kind of instructional nothing. You had to go to a teacher or you stuck your head in a speaker. I stuck my head in a speaker. And uh, then my grandma, through some family social interference thing, decided that she was going to get me a drum set because my dad played drums. And long story short, my dad was an only child and my grandma felt like my mom was stealing my dad from her. But in actuality, my dad was stealing the mom. <laughs> and so she bought the drum set to mess up the piano lessons. Oh, uh, I see. That worked great because as soon as I heard drums, I was like, I'm in. And I just beat that drum set to a pulp. Within a year, it was it was tissue paper. So I had to wait three years to get a, a real drum set somewhat. And, uh, and I did that. And then I used to track record companies because I knew that was my passion. So like most kids would keep a black book, 
I had a little black book and I had all the record company's addresses in it. And then uh, I, I was getting picked up because I was I was very talented. I didn't realize. Well, what age are we talking about right now? You mean you say we're you're talking twelve? We're talking between ten and fourteen years old. I was getting called upon to uh, spin music at my junior high school over the intercom through the whole school. They they trusted me enough to know that I, I knew jazz, I knew R and B. I knew funk, and I would mix it up, but play enough of it that it didn't lean to one side or the other. The teacher could enjoy it. I could enjoy it. I moved on. Uh, I would get calls by jazz bands mm-hmm. whose drummer would get arrested or something would happen, and they'd need somebody, and my name would all of a sudden come up, and I would go in, and I would hold it down, and my mom would let me go. My dad traveled a lot for a living, so he was never around. My mom was the matriarch of the family. And she said, look, bring them home safe. Don't let them drink. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so it was great. You know, and over the course of time, I would be playing with these wonderful musicians and, and singers. They, these were some great people. Some of the guys from the OJs, because they were from Canton. And all the time, people were saying, you're not going to, you you kidding? Ah, forget about it. You better get a real job. You better learn something. And I was like, this is my job. This is my passion. You're passionate. Your mom's watching over you. She's asking others to watch over you. Your talents are growing and you've got like this eclectic experience. And so you're going at leapfrog me into some of this. If you actually are, you're young, we're talking really young. When are you starting to perform? You're always performing with these, you know, how, what's kind of reaction are you getting from individuals that are playing that have other drummers like I'm, I'm trying to picture what this billy idol interaction oh, or okay. chicago you know okay, what's so, that look like well leaping forward you know i i i kept playing and at first i would play with anybody that would have me <laughs> and then i you know it starts to get thin on the ground and i would started getting into bands that i would help put together and mm-hmm. all of that started to work and then i realized growing up in ohio all this time that there was only so much I could do in Ohio. There's only a certain level. You hit the ceiling and you got to start dealing with people. And when I graduated high school, I had the option of graduating early. But really what I didn't realize is they had all graduated. So they told me if I wanted to stay in school, I had to take a vocation. So I took electronics, majoring in audio. Graduated from high school with associate degree in, in electronics and also as the most talented in my high school. I had no idea anybody was even paying attention to my, (laughs) but I had enrolled in all the drumming stuff. So I had done um, marching band, jazz band, pep band, any kind of band, I was in it. Orchestra, I was in orchestra. Anything that had drums in it, I was in. That snowballed into, after I got out of school, I used my electronics experience to start my own electronics business, and I started repairing musical instruments for the school system, Akron Public School System. I would repair Fender Rhodes and Wurlitzers, and musicians would come through. I'd meet um, uh, Leslie West, I think, from Mountain, the guitar player from Mountain who did Mississippi Queen. I worked on his guitar. Next thing I know, I'm working on that. And then there was nightclubs in town that would blow up stuff, and I would go to the club, and all of a sudden, I'm designing and putting in sound systems for these guys, and they're trusting me. I'm like 
22, 25. So then I get married and uh, I decide I want to move to Los Angeles. And that's when things really started to change for me is I jumped into the, from the small fishbowl to the large fishbowl and really started to, to see if I could get in. Well, at the time I moved there, heavy metal was big, hair bands were big, this was the 80s, and I'm trying to sell jazz and R&B. So I had to conform. And, and once again, this goes to the theory of, if you're not doing well where you are, go to where the work is. I would have never gone to Los Angeles had Cleveland and the Akron area been fruitful and a fertile ground, but I didn't see that. And the first chance I got to leave, it was either go to New York or go to LA. So this is, it brings up a point about leadership yes. because you've got to be able to know where the trends are and say, you know what, it's, I'm not going to make it here. So I'm going to diversify and go somewhere else. And that's the willingness of a whole family structure to be able to move to do that. Not everybody can do that, no. but when no, not everybody can do that. So you go to Los Angeles and again, you are trying to make it and if you, you're this, you've got these skills though. And this is another thing with leadership. You diversified yourself. So it wasn't just one thing. You weren't just a drummer. You had right. this electronic, which brought a value add, right? Yes. To, to the whole equation so that when you're sitting and this is leads up to like the billy idols and the ario speedway you how did you wind up there when i came to la i said okay i got a regular job i was repairing intercom systems in fast food restaurants you know how you drive up i was putting i was i was supervisor for putting those coils in and doing that and on my own time i was working for free at a recording studio because that's how you get in you go in and you just work and you go get donuts and you go get coffee and you and then he found out I had technical skills. So they so they had me fixing cables and aligning tape machines and being second engineer on sessions. And I was meeting oh. Loki Robinson. I was meeting uh, Tiffany Studio was where the time recorded. Smokey Robinson recorded. And you know a bunch of other artists, some some pop jazz, what do you call it? Um, smooth jazz artists were recording at George Tobin Studio in uh, North Hollywood, California, uh, off of Burbank. And I did that for a while. So I went back to playing. Got in with a, a corporate band called the Copycats, and we would play weddings and bar mitzvahs and funerals and divorces and and all this. <laughs> I'm, I'm meeting famous people because this is L.A. Everybody. Right. Right. You sound like the wedding singer, but in a better setting. The movie, The Wedding Singer, but in a much better setting. So yeah. you're actually meeting people. Yeah. So I met like uh, Jackson Brown's publisher's son had a bar mitzvah. Jackson Brown shows up. I'm playing and singing Use Me by Bill Withers. And he sits down right here and stares at me the whole time I'm singing. And I'm going, this is Jackson Brown. Yes. I got his records. You know, and uh, after I got, I knew he was coming. So I brought an album and uh, we talked a little bit and I had him sign it. Long story short, wound up working for a, a rehearsal studio called Third Encore. Third Encore was like the top rehearsal studio in town. Everybody uh, was there. Um, Tom Petty, Chicago, Yanni, all these bands were there. And I worked there as a, as a tech and as a second engineer. So when they would rehearse, like, for example, uh, Billy Idol would rehearse, they would be up on stage. 
but I would be running the sound system and they would say, okay, I need to hear the drums a little bit more here. And I would be the guys turning the knobs on that. And that's, you know, that, that was numerous sessions, uh, uh, Seal, uh, Chicago, Yanni. And I was, I was involved with all these people and I could see the type of talent that I wanted to go out and tour with. Yet I still wasn't in that the position to tour with them because LA is very click. All the major cities got hooks. It's not about how talented you are all. It's about who you know and how talented you are. So mm -hmm. a lot of people catch breaks just because they were born under the right sign and other people have to earn it. So that's another point here, right? Is yeah. that it's not a matter, don't be frustrated if you're so talented, but somehow you're not in front or you're not the one actually performing. We're talking about like, again, and it sounds to me, a couple of points here, patience, willing to really put yourself out there working for now you were working for free for a while we're not suggesting everybody go out and work for free but there's one piece about willingness to get the coffee um to build relationships build trust perseverance perseverance, perseverance. you gotta stick with it you gotta yes. stay some of my breaks came by other people not getting a break that is people who were famous and doing stuff for a while and just decided okay I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to retire. Okay, mm. well, then that now a position is open. Right. Now, who gets to fill that? Is it me? Is it this <laughs> other guy? Is it this other guy? Who best fits the bill? You know, some bands hire people based off of their acquaintances. You know, some things bring opportunities. Some things don't. Uh, when Steve Perry left Journey, they needed somebody who sounded like Steve Perry because not everybody... Sounds like Steve Perry. Steve, I mean, Steve Perry, that's a hard to mimic. This this brings up to another point. Let's talk about you filling in and taking the spot <laughs> of someone else. Oh no, I'm I'm taking you there. Are you talking about all these other people? We're not talking about them. We're talking about you, Alex. Uh, okay. You well, have filled in the spot. And I will I'm gonna ask, can you get a little bit of a taste? I got your keyboards right there. A little bit of taste of something that maybe somebody has heard and actually performed in. I'm thinking of what, you know, I'm thinking of a couple of songs, but um, maybe someone, yeah, please share. Sometimes I'm right and I can't be wrong. My own beliefs are So you went into actually into a position with Sly and the Family Stone. So are you saying you became Sly? What happened here? Okay. Um, okay. So what happened was I told you I was in a corporate band mm -hmm. called the Copycast. And there was a lot of guys who played in that band from time to time. Uh, the keyboard player from John Fogarty played in that band. But the keyboard player for John Fogarty, I just ran into him at the music convention, Nam, this year. There was always people coming through. And one of the bass players knew the saxophone player from Sly and the Family Stone. And he said, they keep going through singers, but they just can't find the right guy. You would be excellent for that. Let me introduce you. So he introduced me to the guy 
And we got together at, at the bass player's business, which was a carpet uh, company. And he had a big warehouse in the back and he would rehearse his band. He had a band there. And I came and, and I was singing from behind the drums because that, that's my thing. Drums was my thing. He's, he liked it. And uh, we jammed together and then nothing happened. And then about a year later, MySpace was like Facebook is. And I was on MySpace, you know, pulling all my friends together and my contacts and everything. And I, I saw Jerry and I hit Jerry's thing. And I said, hey, Jerry, remember me, Alex? Da, 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 da. And he goes, what are you doing? I said, uh, I'm not doing anything. I just left a gig at the Bellagio I've been doing for three years. And I'm kind of on hiatus. He says, you want to play with a band? I said, sure. He says, OK, I'm going to send a guy over, our, our bass players in, in Las Vegas. And I'm going to send him over to connect with you. So he sent the guy over. And at that time, I was just starting my electronics repair business in Vegas. So I was basically in a condo, working off a road case in my dining room and my dining room table. Those were my two workbenches. And I was repairing keyboards and stuff off of there. And we're going to run through a couple of songs to see if you know. And I'm like, I know all the Sly and the Family Stone stuff. I know all of that stuff. Okay, uh, do you know this song? I go, yeah, start singing a little bit, you know. Um, Dance to the music. I said, okay, okay, we got that, okay. Do you know everyday people? Sometimes I'm right and I can't be wrong. And I did that, okay. So he said, okay, can you play keyboards? I said, well, which song? So he knew all the keys. So I sat down and I was able, while we were sitting there, to pick out all the keys of the songs. And I said, now, here's the, here's the thing. Sly had two keyboard players, himself and his sister Rose. So what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to consolidate this and play what we call the signature parts. I'm going to have to make sure that all the signature parts come together to make this cohesive. So I can do that. I took piano lessons a couple, you know, now I'm going back to my old piano stuff and I'm bringing all that forward. And I'm like, this is going to be in my head. I'm going, this is going to be great because I was starting to to lose a little bit of the, my ability to ascertain parts and music. I've kind of got ADD in as much as while I'm talking to you, my brain is going, okay, they got bass, they got two guitars, they got uh, keyboards, and they, the guy's got four synthesizers. Okay, they got shakers, they got a cowbell. My brain <laughs> just goes there. It just, I don't have any control over it. So you now are part of the band and there's no rehearsal what are we facing you're going out and you what do you look how many what's the crowd look like help us out alex what's a, what's a crowd look like oh um yeah <laughs> we played glastonbury which is the woodstock of uh of the uk mm -hmm. and they have three big stages going on so like i think we played on a stage lionel richie played on a stage and somebody, well, no, we played on a stage and on another stage, the Rolling Stones were playing. We had 5,000 people. The Rolling Stones had about 20,000. So that was one year. The next year we went out, we were on a big stage with George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic. Lionel Richie's on another stage. We drew as many people as the Rolling Stones drew, about 15,000 people. And there's a BBC concert movie video of this whole thing. We opened for George and then we did the uh, encore together. 
Now, the largest that I could remember ever playing to was we did a concert in Golden Gate Park, 25,000 people. It was a sea of people all the way through the park. As far as you could see, there was nothing but people and it's tree lined. So they're all in this thing that just goes back. It looked like forever. It looked like it went back a half mile and they had video screens set up all so far down the sides for people who couldn't see, because I'm sure to the people in the back, I was just <laughs> You're probably really, but they couldn't tell what was going on, probably that from way back there, but they could hear you because of the They speed. could hear us. So you've got, you've got 25,000 people, you know, to hear you. What did that feel like? And then another question, part two to this is again, as a leader of the band at the time, what, what did you tell them before they went out on stage? Because you're really, your team, you're a team out there. Okay, when you play any music enough, mm -hmm. it starts to become a little bit grueling. Even your most favorite songs, you have to change up and play something else. When you're in a band, you don't have that option. Not only that, a lot of times you don't even have the option of changing the order of the songs. Very frustrating when you're the leader of the band. That is, I felt like a bus driver that was being told where to go, but had no control over how much gas was in the bus, whether the tires needed changing. I had absolutely no control. I was the figurehead, but all the other people are controlling how things run. That was where I was. And I told them coming in, I said, look, if I do my job right, there's going to be a lot of nepotism because I'm going to get all the light and everybody else is going to be second. And a lot of those people in the band had done this before. They don't, mm -hmm. this was nothing to them. But you're asking me how I felt. My biggest thing before a performance was remain distracted. Don't think about what you're going to do. That way, every time you come out, it's fresh. When I came out to 25,000 people, you just, you, you get an energy from it. That, okay. that that just go through you and you just get this energy on a level that you never felt before. It's just, mm -hmm. it's just, it's unreal. But in, in it, it's reciprocal. That mm -hmm. is, you're putting energy out there and you feel these waves of energy coming to you, which reinforces you that you're doing something right good, something righteous, both good and righteous. Okay. And oh. it's just like, it's wonderful. Okay. What, what is advisement that you would give? What are the top three things that you would advise someone who's actually wanting to be a leader in the music industry? And again, you're a leader in different areas because you're engineering and producing and owning your, your own business. But what would you tell someone that the three top qualities that you would need to be a leader? Okay. Number one, you have to be your own support group. You mm -hmm. have to believe in yourself. Do not ever let anyone tell you that you can't do what you want to do. And in doing that, you have to be willing to do whatever it takes to accomplish your goal. I don't mean robbing. I don't mean thieving. But you have to, in my case, I always made sure I held down a day job while I pursued my career in music until one financially outweighed the other. Then mm -hmm. I could let this one go and I could surf this. And in the music industry, 
there's always going to be highs and lows. So if you're on a low, you're on the way up. And if you're on a high, expect something to happen to bring that down. Because the one certainty in life in any profession is change. And you have to be willing to adapt and, and go with the flow. Now, uh, in the second thing, in today's market, it's not like it was before. Before, your success was measured with the sale of hard goods, records, tapes, CDs, uh, videos. Now everything is streaming. And the problem with that is that the person, for example, who's top of the charts right now on Billboard is top of the charts based off of projected streams, projected sales, projected streams, no hard goods. So what I'm finding is, this is my observation, is that the people who do the best on the charts are like America's Got Talent, the people who draw the most interest. And mm. they are normally are backed by people who have money and so there's so that second point is about just know at hard there's a change in the way even the currency in this music industry is right. going okay yeah. the third thing is when you're starting out don't allow mm -hmm. drugs you have to stay healthy well and you have to make sure that you can provide for yourself if that means taking a second job as a bus driver so be it but support yourself. You have to be able to support yourself because you need to have the tools to make your dream come true. And you want, in, uh, if you're going to be a, any kind of a musician, you want to make sure that you have some kind of device nearby, be it a cassette deck, or cass you know, anything to capture your ideas. I have a, a habit to, to this day that I always do, and I make lists. Yes. And then I check things off. I that's the way to get things done. You've gotta you've gotta make lists and you've gotta be able to record your ideas. What you do is when you get that idea, when that muse strikes, you go grab a guitar, keyboard, something, you put that song down. You get the core of it, the basis, because you probably only have about 10 or 15 minutes, and then your mind is gonna start extrapolating on this. And you're mm -hmm. going to turn into something else. All you really need is the core of it. And the list thing is about getting contacts, getting management, marketing now. I'm hiring people to handle my Instagram, my, uh, my, my websites, because you can't do it all yourself. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur. I've got my own. I own the number one electronic musical instrument repair business in the state of Nevada. I built that off of my experiences with repairs coming up till now. That was my fallback. So in case, you know, every tour comes to an end. Uh, nothing goes on forever. I'm going to cut it short. So I first of all, I want to say thank you for your time. Thank you thank for you. sharing all of this with us. So until next time. The Pen Leader Podcast is hosted by Dr. Shan DeGore and brought to you by Mason Associates LTD, creating customized solutions for growth in the areas of leadership development, strategic planning, and culture building. Find out more at www.maysassociatesltd.com. 
Don't forget to subscribe to the Pin Leader Podcast and share with others.